back <clears throat> in our Old Testament study in the, in the book of First Kings. So if you will make your way over to First Kings, we are in chapter 13 this evening. We took last week off from First Kings uh, to look at the current events that are going on in the world and, uh, and, and got a, a perspective of, of what's kind of happening in the world what God's doing on the other side of the world, as well as what God is doing here in this country. And if you weren't here last week, uh, you can go online and listen to the study uh, that Mark Matthews gave us in these current events that we are going through. And so, <coughs> with a little bit of that cough, so I'll try to turn it off whenever I can, just so it's not in your ears. Um, what we saw a couple of weeks ago uh, as we left off in chapter 12, finishing off chapter 12 of 1 Kings, what, we, we, we left off um, with, with King Solomon. <clears throat> he had died. In, ch- in chapter 11, he, he died. And, and his son came on the scene. Now, you would think again that when you're taking over a country. There would be some humility that comes along with that because of the responsibility. Again, we, we, we see that, that Solomon dies and his, his son comes into being. He has seen his dad deal with the people. Whether it was good or bad, he's seen them deal with the people. And it's almost like he comes on the scene and he wants to play hardball with those who came to him, and all they were asking was, can you just take it easy on us? Take it easy. Not that they didn't want to work. It's not that. They they were willing to work and do what was necessary, but they wanted the burden to be eased somewhat. And it wasn't a bad thing that they were coming to him because they were working so hard if we remember, King Solomon was a builder and there was so much stuff to be building. Now, granted, I don't think Rehoboam was going to be that kind of a builder. But they were coming and saying, hey, we're, le- we're working long hours and away from home and all those kinds of things. Can you just ease it up a little bit? And not only the work, but also the taxes that was going on. There was a lot of taxes that were going on and the people were being stretched. And so in that, they're telling the new administration, hey, can we work together here? And so what we saw last week was these two players coming together. Rehoboam, the son of King Solomon, who had become king in dad's place, and the other player would be Jeroboam. Jeroboam, whom the Lord had shown that he would be taking over the ten northern kingdom of Israel. And he would be considered Israel. Rehoboam would be with the two kingdoms in the southern part. And and he would be considered Judah. And so God had reminded and told Jeroboam that he would be king of that portion if he did the things that God had been asking him to do, he would bless him and he would be like, like David. He would have a dynasty. He would have things going on. 
But as Rehoboam or Jeroboam came and tried to negotiate with Rehoboam, Rehoboam decided to, to make it worse for them. And he wanted to make it harder for them rather than easier. In other words, it's going to get heavier than lighter. And so because of that, there was going to be a revolt, basically a civil war, a, 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 a cessation from this kingdom. They would have their own kingdom. Now, God's word had said that he was going to tear this kingdom apart because of the sins of Solomon. Because of those things, it was going to happen anyway. Maybe not as ugly as this was going to look like. But God was going to tear it apart, and he did. And when it did, when they did, back in chapter 12, he stopped Rehoboam, the southern kingdom guy from, from Judah, he stopped them from going to war against his brethren, against Jeroboam, which was good. Now, Jeroboam, as we saw at the end of this chapter, and that was a couple of weeks ago, he was concerned about losing his people. Because there was the temple that had been built by Solomon, right? And it was down in Jerusalem. And Jeroboam was thinking, you know, if they have to go down there three times a year, they're going to miss that place and they're going to desire to go back to that place. And so Jeroboam came up with his own thing, his own religion, a man-made religion. And what he wanted to do was make it convenient for his people so that they wouldn't have to go down there. And so he says, instead of you guys going down there, I'm going to build one in Bethel, and I will build one in the northern part of Dan. So wherever you're at, you're not going to be that far away from, from going and worshiping. But here's the kicker. He ends up making these calves and telling them, this is your God. This is the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I'm thinking, come on, dude. This prophet has already revealed himself to you that God has said, I will make you a king and I will be with you and I will do all these things. And he knew all the history of Israel. And yet, because of Solomon, if you remember, he started bringing in other gods and, and stuff. So it became almost something routine that there would be other gods. And for Jeroboam to do this was not a big thing for him. But he made it easy for the people. There was no sacrifice involved. And I think oftentimes, as we serve with the Lord, I think oftentimes we want to serve the Lord on our terms. We want to make him convenient to our lifestyle. And that's not the way it should go. There has to be sacrifices in our lives. There has to be changes in our lives. There has to be something that drives us, you know. And if we make it way too easy, if God would make it way too easy, then it's like, oh, I'll do it whenever I want to. And so I think the people got complacent. They didn't have to go down to Jerusalem. They were going to be worshiping in Bethel and or, or Dan. But they weren't worshiping the, the one true living God. They were worshiping an idol. And so we get to verse 13. And again, Jeroboam had, had made special feasts 
to correlate with the Jewish religion, but on different times so that they wouldn't coincide together. But in verse 13, or in chapter 13, verse 1, first three verses, it says, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he, the man of God, cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he, the man of God, gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. We, we, we are introduced in this chapter to, to someone who is a man of God. Never gives us the name. It really doesn't matter because he's only going to be involved in this chapter. I'm spoiling it for you. He, he's not going to make it to the end. But we never have a name on this guy, just the man of God. We know nothing about him or have a history of him except for what we have in this chapter. Just this little bit that we have. And what we know is that he is a man of God. In other words, he is a prophet of God. He has a word from God. Now, I don't know how much he was used wherever he, he was at, but we do know that he comes from Judah, from the southern kingdom. So more than likely, his headquarters, if he is a prophet, maybe not a priest, but a prophet, he is probably somewhere around Jerusalem or in that area. <coughs> but he is a prophet and he is a spokesman for God and he has a message for the northern kingdom basically he has a prophecy he is going to foretell something that will happen later on in life and so again he is from Judah the southern kingdom and he went up to Bethel which is the northern kingdom. And from Jerusalem to Bethel, it is about 12 miles. Half a day's journey or so. But he's going to make it up there. And he gets there around the time, or at the same time, that Jeroboam is standing before the altar in Bethel, and he is going to burn incense. Now, I don't know if he's doing it or he's just coming to offer it, but we do know that at the end of the chapter, Jeroboam has even made himself a priest. He has been making priests, as it showed us the chapter before, of whoever wanted to be priests. They didn't have to be of the tribe of Levi. It's just whoever, maybe whoever had enough to come and, and be a priest. And so he's making people priests that he shouldn't be making priests, but he's made a religion that he shouldn't have made anyways. But he is at this place, he is at the altar, and he is burning incense. And it says that the man of God came and cried against the altar. And he said, by the word of the Lord, O altar, altar, 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. Notice that he, he comes and he cries out to the altar. He's speaking to this altar. And I don't know how big it is. I remember when we were up in Dan, it was about the, as big as, you know, from where Donnie is this way, a big, big square, kind of high. So, so it's an altar. And so he's yelling at this altar. And granted, the king is there. I'm assuming that there are other people because of the story, the way it flows, that there was other people there. And so as he begins to cry out to the altar, he's not so much speaking to Jeroboam, but he's hearing him (laughs) because he is a prophet and he has a word to say. And so everybody is going to hear what this man of God is saying. And so he speaks to all. And in essence, he is going over the head of the king. God had given them the message to speak to the altar. Now, the man of God could have said, you want me to do what in front of how many people? Can I just kind of try to go talk to the king personally and say, hey, bro, what you're doing is stupid. God's going to, he has a message, and God's going to take care of this if you're not careful. But he doesn't do that. He's obedient to what the Lord had him do. And it was to go and speak to the altar. And he says this to the altar as he's shouting out, and I could imagine this in a loud voice. He says, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And he begins to say what this child, Josiah, is going to do. Now this is a crazy, crazy prophecy. I mean, if God gave you a word and it was really specific (laughs) and it was names, how scared would you be to to say this name? It's like, okay. Now, the interesting thing about this prophecy, though, is that, again, the message he came to deliver, not just to the altar, but also to, to Jeroboam and to all of Israel, the northern kingdom. But this prophecy that he is prophesying will not come to pass till almost 300 years later. So again, maybe you could throw out a name. Who's going to be around? Who's writing this down? Obviously somebody is. But he mentions the name of a child named Josiah. And 290 years later, there would be a king that comes on the scene, a child who would become king, from Judah, the southern kingdom of the house of David. And I'm sure this didn't sit well with Jeroboam because he knows he's the king of the northern kingdom. And why are you talking about this guy who's going to come on the scene? He didn't give him a timetable, but we know from history that it would be almost 300 years later. Why are you telling me that someone from the south is going to come and is going to tear this thing apart, basically, and and kill all the the priests and this thing that that it's just going to, you know, he's going to burn bones on this thing. And so this must have gotten his attention going, what, are we going to go to war because this king from the house of David, this king from Judah, 
Now, again, if he would have said there's going to be a guy, Josiah, from your lineage, that might have been different, but it wasn't. Again, there's a separation that's already happened. So how does he prove that this, this prophecy that will happen years later, how does he prove that this is from God? Well, he tells them what, what the proof. The proof is, and the sign in verse 3 is on the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So now he's saying this thing that you have built for your God that is sitting on top of it or however it is, it's going to split and the ashes will be poured out. And so in verse 4, it says, So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Arrest him. Then his hand, which he stretched out towards him, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. And the altar also was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered, and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, if, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the same way he came to Bethel. <coughs> Can you imagine this whole scene that's going on right now? King Jeroboam knew exactly what the man of God was saying and what he was doing. And instead of humbling himself to this man and what he was saying and doing, he decided to throw his weight around instead. This man comes and he doesn't look at the king or talk to the king, he talks to the altar. He prophesies, he gives a sign of what will happen. Again, probably the fact that another king is coming on the scene. He gets upset. And he decides to have the man of God arrested. Instead of going, whoa, 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 who are you? What's your name? <laughs> oh, man of God. Let's talk about this whole thing. 
Can you picture the scene as this thing's starting to play out? As he's yelling out to the altar and then telling them, this will be the sign. This thing is going to crack up and, and all the ashes are going to fall apart. And as the king hears this thing, as he hears a man of God, it says that Jeroboam stretched out his arm and his hand. I can imagine he's pointing at him. Arrest him, you know? And it's like, ah! <laughs> it got stuck that way, you know? It, it says that it withered. Another, another translation that, is that it got paralyzed. It's almost like he had a stroke of somehow, but he couldn't pull it back, he said. Now, was it just the hand that withered? I don't know, and the arm just got stuck. However it was, you know, I was kind of being reminded that as a kid when you yell or do something that your mom would say, stop it or your face is going to stay that way. Well, that's what kind of happened. Hey, quit, quit pointing. It's going to stay that way. And that's exactly what happened. The king, all of a sudden, something supernatural is happening. This guy has foretold what's going to happen and God's already intervening and Jeroboam instead of humility instead of repentance that I think that God wanted him to repent and brought this man of God all the way from Judea or from Judah he brought him all the way to proclaim a message and to say something to him and instead of saying what is going on here he wants the man arrested and his hand and his arm gets paralyzed And as all of this is happening, as he is yelled out for being arresting this guy, and his arm is now withered and he can't pull it in, all of a sudden, the altar that he has built begins to crack. And it begins to, or to split and the ashes begin to pour out. Just the way this man of God said. Now again, at that point, you would think, that he would humble himself. And it almost sounds like he does. Because all of a sudden, he tells the man of God, can you entreat the Lord for me? Can you plead with the Lord for me? Can you pray to the Lord, your God, for me? If I was a man of God there, I wouldn't have acted like a man of God at that moment. I would have said, why don't you ask your calf that you have just made? Because you, you thought that was more important than going down to Jerusalem and worshiping God. You decided to make it easy, an easy religion, something that would take the place of God Almighty. And you said, this is what brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is our God. Let's just make it easy and worship this calf. Let's not go anywhere, but just, just make it easy. I would have told them, why don't, why don't you ask your God who you've placed in front of the people and told the people, this is your God. Now, there's a lot of people there I could imagine. And what he is saying to the people, I've told you to worship him, but I don't trust him myself to heal my hand. I, 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 he can't do nothing for me, and yet I've placed him above anybody else. 
And guys, this is what happens in our lives when we put anything above God that all of a sudden we're worshiping, we're, we're paying homage to it, we're spending so much time with it, and then something happens in our lives that, that, that brings paralyzation to our lives, and we're going, help God, and God's going, why don't you ask that God that you've been serving lately? Why don't you ask that hobby that you've been hanging around if he could heal you or he could take care of you? Why don't you ask the, that, that person that you're so enthralled with if they can touch they can't do nothing for you. That, that, that calf that you have worshipped and told everybody else to worship cannot do a thing for you. I was reminded of, of Psalm 55 or, or 115, 3 through 5. It says, But our God is in heaven who does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. And so often, in people's lives, in our lives even, as Christians, we set up our idol and we begin to spend so much time there that we neglect God. And it's not that we've, we've rejected God or, 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 or forgotten God. We've just, he has just become one of many gods in our lives. And God's going, man, I want to do so much. And I will try to get your attention and we ignore it. And then something vital happens and we come crying to God. And you know, he is so good. He is so good that when we cry out to him, he comes, he, he answers. Again, I, I was looking at this story. I'm going, why did you answer his prayer, God? Why didn't you just leave his hand the way it is? See, I, I could be mean. I, I, again, man, and I'm glad that he doesn't do it to me, but he should do it to other people just so they can learn. <laughs> because I don't like when, when he doesn't answer my prayer, when I've been an idiot. But this man, even though he's had another God, that he's been serving another God, he's, he's drawn people into that. He's drawn other people away from God. And God still answers his prayer. And I'm thinking, Lord, you are so gracious to because so often, man, we put so many things in front of you and we get so busy with life. And I understand that. And yet, Lord, you, you, you end up showing us your goodness and your greatness. And so the, the king, in one sense, humbles himself by saying, entreat the Lord for favor that he may heal that he may take care of my arm and restore it back again. And it says that the king's hand was restored to him. And then it says, Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me. Well, isn't that a change of heart? From arrest him to come home with me. <laughs> and I'm wondering if he's going, uh, I could use somebody like you around me because I do a lot of stupid things and you're like my good luck charm. And maybe if, I hang, if you hang around with me, I don't have to go through all these things. I don't know. But he invites him to come home. And he says, 
Come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. And it's almost like he wanted to pay for the healing. And I thought, dude, you just missed out on the grace of God. You can't pay for the grace of God. I think oftentimes, again, it's like, okay, Lord, if you do this, then I will do this. And that's not what God was asking. God wanted humility. He wanted repentance from Jeroboam because he was going to lead his people. And he had already led them in the wrong direction, but he was going to lead them into deeper stuff. And yet he's saying, well, if you come home with me, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you for it. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a reward. Now, if the man of God had taken, up on, taken him up on that, he would have shown in one sense that God was okay with what he was doing. Okay, I'll receive this, this payment. And you can continue doing what you're doing, Jeroboam. But he didn't do that. He didn't go and have this intimate fellowship with him and eating and drinking with him because that's what it would have looked like. And so this man of God is going, I can't compromise what God's already told me. Let me tell you what God has told me. And he tells them exactly what God had told them. Now, I don't know how God revealed what he was supposed to do, but he somehow revealed to the man of God. He revealed this plan. You're going to go from here. You're going to go up there. You're going to speak to the altar. You're going to give this prophecy about what's going to happen in a long time from now. And, and you're going to say, here's the sign. And it's going to happen. Now, he didn't tell him about the withered hand, but all of a sudden this happens and he is ready to pray for this guy and, and the guy gets healed. But you're not going to stay there nor are you going to have intimate fellowship with him because you're going on a mission and this is your mission and then you get out and you don't even come back the same way you came in. That's, that's, that's some pretty direct, clear instructions that God is giving. And so again, when God gives us clear instructions, we are to pay attention to that. Now, I understand that sometimes it's hard to hear God. But for some reason, this man of God was spending time with God to the, to the, to the extent that he heard God exactly and did exactly what God wanted him to do. And it's great that Jeroboam said, all right, go, go on with your bad self, go. And so he takes off another way that he came. However the Lord revealed it, he shares it with Jeroboam with conviction and there is no change in his mind. No amount of money was going to change his mind. And it's interesting that he's willing to, to reward him for the work that he did. And, and it's almost like he can't let that dictate what God has already said. And we need to be careful and take heed of that. Because when God says something to us, and other people, or even the enemy, comes and puts some shiny things in front of us and say, oh, come on, just do it. And you're going, gosh, I know what God has said, but man, oh man, how do I resist this? Well, if you've heard what God says, then you should obey God. No matter what shiny things are put in front of you. No matter who is trying to, to coerce you into doing what you know God has told you not to go do. And so in verse 11, the story gets a little crazy here. It says, Now, an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, 
they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went into or went who came from Judah. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said to him, and he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he, the man of God, said, I cannot return with you nor go with, with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in your place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. Then he, or he said, the, the old prophet said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel told me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat and drink water. He was lying to him. Then he, the man of God, went back with him and ate bread at his house and drank water. A lot of things were going through my mind as I'm reading this and I'm wanting to share this with you. I'm thinking there was an old prophet dwelling in Bethel. Why hadn't God spoken to this prophet to go speak to the king? Why did he have to bring a man of God from Judah 12 miles away? It's not like he was driving over there. He had to walk it. You have to hoof it over there. Why is there a prophet in Judah or in Israel that is not being used of God? Could it be that God had spoken to this prophet in the past and he did not have the guts or the wherewithal to go and tell the king? Is it possible that God had spoken to this man before and he decided, that's a little far-fetched for me to go do? And God said, well, if you don't want to be used, I will use someone else. Because again, this guy's a prophet, and we're going to see later that God does speak to this man. But for some reason, he decides to use someone else to come and do this. And we know that people were gathered around uh, uh, Jeroboam and the stuff because his sons were over there. It's good, I guess, that this prophet wasn't there in the whole ritual of what was going on. But his sons were there and they came and they told him everything that this man said and everything he did. And I'm wondering if this prophet's going, oh my gosh, God is speaking. And I'm thinking, you're a prophet. Why is it that you didn't listen? Maybe, just maybe, God had been speaking to you. And so when he hears which way the man went, he says, saddle me the donkey. And he was on his way to go find the man and he finds him sitting under the oak tree. And he says, are you the man, the man of God who came from Judah? And he says, yes, I am. 
And he says, hey, I want to meet with you. I want you to come home with me. And I'm wondering if this prophet is going, okay, I thought I heard the word of God. How does that sound anymore? Because I hadn't been obedient. Is it possible that this man was saying, I remember those good old days when I was close and listening to God, but I have not listened to God for a while and I've been put on the shelf. And maybe this man's going, maybe if I have a closeness with them, I could get that fire back, you know? And he invites them to come back. The man of God tells him, I can't. I can't return. And he tells him just what he told the king. This is the instructions that God has given me. And the man of God or, or the old prophet says, hey, I'm a prophet too. And God told me by an angel <laughs> that you're to come back and eat and drink with me. Now, it breaks my heart here because I'm going... This man of God knew exactly what God had told him. And someone else comes and says, no, but thus says the Lord. An angel told me, and it reminded me of, of, of Galatians 1, 8, where it says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. And instead of the man of God saying to this man, I know what God has spoken, I can't go back. Or even going, you know what? God has my number. He has spoken to me before. I know his voice, and that's not his voice. Or did he have respect for this man going, gosh, man. See, I would have questioned the guy. If God speaks to you, then how come you weren't the one that's doing the, the mission, and he had to call me to come and do the mission? Again, there's so many different things that, that I'm looking at here. And maybe, again, man, this guy was so convincing. But I know that the Bible tells us that we are to test all things and hold fast to what is good. Guys, when you know that you have read something in the Word of God, and it is plain and it is clear, and you are convinced of it, this is what God is calling me. Maybe not everybody else, but this is what God is calling me. And you are convinced to it. And you have other people coming and speaking into your life that are going, no, but that's okay. And you're going, no, but God has told me this. And they begin to try to have you compromise what God has said. Be careful. Sometimes they're well-meaning brothers and sisters because they don't have the same conviction. Or maybe they're not as spiritual or mature as you are. And you have heard God say, this is not what I have for your life. This is not the direction I want you to go. This is not where I've called you to be. And other people are going, nah, it's okay. I'm a Christian too. Honestly, guys, sometimes it doesn't mean a thing. God has your number. And if you ever have a doubt or you have people wanting you to compromise what you know God has told you not to compromise on, then you're, you're, you're to not listen to them. We are to test everything. It's one thing when we know that God has said it. But when somebody comes to you and says, thus says the Lord, you're going, okay, I got to test this. 
Thus says the Lord for you. <laughs> this is a word from, from the Lord to you. Then you've got to test it. I don't care who they are. Even if it comes from me or one of my elders or board members that says, I think the Lord's telling you to do this. You test that. You have to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, because you, never, you don't see that here. You don't see the man of God going, hey, well, let's just wait a little bit. Let's see if God changes his mind. I doubt it. I doubt that God is going to change his mind when he has been so forthcoming in the plans that he has given to him. Now, I'm not saying God never changes things in our lives, that, that, that God has called us for a specific purpose to do something, but he will never go against what he's already said in one sense. Again, it, it could get a little confusing because I'm looking at this I'm going, but Lord, hasn't there been times that you have spoken to me or spoken to other people. And maybe it was only for a time. I thought it was forever, but you've changed. Not that you've changed your mind, but the situations have changed. And now you're going. And now you're going, okay, now it's okay. You see, it has to be from God. It can't be from somebody else. And, unless, and if somebody else comes, then you take it to prayer and you test that. I was talking to somebody the other day, and it's like, Ah, uh, you know, it's like at one point God said, you can't do this. And now God is saying, you can. And I'm going, uh, you know, and they're telling me, I think God has told me that I have permission for this. And I'm going, I'm staying out of it. I, I, I can't approve of it. I, I, I don't know if God did change his mind. But you have to go back to the word of God. And you have to be convinced that that is what he's saying now. Because again, here, this thing is going to cost this man his life because of his disobedience. He knew exactly what God wanted from him. Exactly. And he's even told the king, I can't. And now he's telling this guy, I can't. But this guy's going, but I'm a Christian just like you are. And to me, it's almost like shame on you. If he told you this is what God says, then you should have backed up and said, then go your way, bro. I'll follow you. I'll accompany you. If God has told you you can't go back and eat and drink with me. But it says in parentheses, he was lying to him. Did he intend to lie to him? I don't know. But he did. He had this guy compromised. Because the very next verse he says, so he went back with him. So he went back with him. He was not supposed to go back with him. And this is what happens in verse 20. Now it happened, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet, the old prophet, who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandments which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your father. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine 
this prophet, this old prophet that maybe has not heard from God in quite a bit and lies to this man to bring him back, God says, you're the one that's going to go tell him that he's going to die. That he is not going to make it back. And I'm thinking, you should have killed that guy too for lying to him. Why didn't he get punished like that? But again, the man of God knew the convictions that God had given him. And there was trouble ahead because of his disobedience. Because of, if he would have sought the Lord and said, okay, Lord, I'm not going to go back to the king. Is it okay if I go with this guy? Maybe God would have said, yeah, you're going to go back a different way. I don't know. But he never even acknowledged the Lord. And now the Lord speaks to this old prophet. And I'm sure that this prophet is going, I haven't heard that voice for a while. And now I got to go tell the guy that I just lied to that he's going to die because he listened to me. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. If you're the one that causes a brother to stumble and now God says, now you got to call him out on it. Now you got to call him out on it because he listened to you because you were being disobedient. You caused somebody else to fall and now you go tell him, I'm going to pay. he's going to pay for it. He's going to have to pay the consequences for that. I'm thinking, man, that's pretty hard. In verse 23, so it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drank that he saddled the donkey for him, that the old man saddled the donkey for the man of God, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown to the ro- on the road. And the donkey stood by it. And the lion also stood by the corpse. And there a man passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the ground. And the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who was disobedient because of you, idiot. I could get fired up on this. Sorry. It is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his sons, saying, saddle the donkey for me, so they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. And the lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and bury him. And he laid the corpse in his own tomb. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. So it was, after he had buried him, that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out 
by the word of the Lord against the altar of Bethel and against the shrines on the high places which are in the city of Samaria shall surely come to pass. What a trip. You see all the supernatural stuff that's happening here? The guy takes off. A lion meets him and, and drags him off and kills him, throws him on the road, and then the lion and the donkey are standing next to the corpse. That is not normal. If, if the lion brings this guy down, more than likely he is going to tear apart this man. And if he doesn't tear apart the, the, the man, he's going to tear apart this donkey. But the natural thing would be that as soon as the guy is thrown down from the donkey, the donkey hightails it out of there, let him eat him, and I'm on my way. But that doesn't happen either. Again, God is showing Israel here and Jeroboam and everybody involved, this is me. I am involved here. I said, don't do this. And you did it and it cost you your life. But everybody else is going to see by the fact that the lion is laying there and the donkey is sitting there. And they're just waiting to show God's power that God, what God says is true. Again, I, going through this, I'm going, Lord, what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that when God speaks to us, we're obedient to the, to the Lord, not to what anybody else says. God has shown himself in so many different ways here. He showed himself to Jeroboam. Guys, repent. Stop worshiping other things. That doesn't happen. Oh, he, we, we're, we're going to see in the last few verses that he continues doing what he, was, he wanted to do. <coughs> if you turn over to 2 Kings chapter 23, chapter 23 tells us about Josiah being born. Again, it, it's at the time where now Israel has already been taken captive up to Assyria. And Josiah is born, and he goes up to Bethel. And in verse 15, it says, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, and the high places which Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin, had made both the altar, that altar, and the high places, he broke down, and he burned the high places, and crushed it into powder, and burned the wooden images, image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountains. And he sent and he took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, uh, Josiah said, What gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God by whom, who came from Judah to proclaim these things that you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who was in and Samaria. And so we see 
that everything he said would happen, happened almost 300 years later. That this young boy was born 300 years later. And he went and destroyed it exactly the way God had prophesied he would do. And this old man said, hey, you make sure you bury me with this man of God. Because everything that he said will come to pass. Verse 33 and 34 says, After this event, after this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. But again, made, he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him. And he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, who was, who, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. In, in, in looking at Jeroboam, I'm thinking God used the prophet to come and speak to him and say, I will make you king of the ten nations. And if you walk according to my ways, you will prosper. But if you don't, I will come against you. And because of his fear, he made his own religion and man-made religion and made other people sin. And, and Jeroboam would go down in history being named after king, after king, after king who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he would always be mentioned in the context of, and he, the king at the time, did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. Jeroboam caused the nation of Israel to sin but it came from Solomon who introduced all, all the idols and it's almost like God says you guys want idols I'll give you idols and so he took Jeroboam's kingdom and tore it apart a couple hundred years before he took apart Judah's kingdom and he sent Jeroboam and, and the nation of Israel up to Assyria to be captive up there where there was all kinds of idols. And he told the nation of, of, of Judah, J Solomon's family, you want idols? I'll take you to, to Babylon and you will be seeing a lot of idols in your life. Guys, I guess what I want to say at the end of here as we close up, God speaks to us. He has given us his word. He has taught us what to do and what not to do in his word. Be obedient. We have the privilege of having his word. He has declared to us. I know that we don't always listen, but his word is clear. There are certain things that he has already condemned that he will not say, oh, I will make the exception for you. He will never, ever do that. It's not okay for you. And I don't care what other brothers and sisters might come around and say, no, I do it all the time. Nothing happens to me. Don't believe them. It causes pain and suffering, whatever it is. If it's being disobedient to the Lord, it will cause pain and suffering. Those are the consequences that we face. And, and, and as I'm looking at this, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, Lord, 
Is that why certain things happen in people's lives because of their disobedience? And it's yes, yes. And they're going, I don't know why. And God's going, because you're not hearing my voice. And we need to pay attention to his voice. He is so good to us, guys. He truly is. His word is clear. Pay attention to it. If you put other things in front of him, other idols, he will have the last word. Just that way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you. Lord, we do want to humble ourselves. Lord, I don't know what everybody is battling right now. I don't know what their, their challenges are right now, Lord God. I don't know what, what is happening, if there's consequences uh, that are happening in their lives right now because they've been disobedient. I don't know, Lord. But I do know that your word is true. I do know that you have condemned so many things that even we as Christians allow. And you're calling us out, Lord. And I pray that we would humble ourselves and not, to, not continue to be disobedient. Lord, we need to test all things that even if a brother comes to us and says, it's okay, I'm a Christian too, that we would test those things and be able even to stand up to our brothers and encourage them not to sin. And so, Lord, please, Lord, we ask that you would hear our prayers, Lord. That, God, you would heal us and that we would not think that we have to repay you for anything, Lord, that we would receive your grace even tonight and walk in it. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.